You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 60 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Monday, the 30th of July, 2018. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Asher King. Nice to be back. Rue Hill. Hello, everybody. And Jesse Carnes. Hello. Harry, you really upset my niece. Really? Yes. What did I do? Well, she was watching the royal wedding, which I know was quite a while ago now. Yeah. And it's also slightly surprising because when she was going through her princess phase last year when she was seven, we had a long talk about the morals of uh, hereditary privilege. <laughs> Only you would have that chat with a seven-year-old. Because that's the kind of fun uncle that I am. <laughs> and she was watching The Royal Wedding, and she was very, very excited um, that Harry from Surf Simply was getting married to Meghan Markle on TV. Nah. And she was devastated to find out that it was a different Harry. Yeah. There is more than one <laughs> Harry on this planet. Which, well, there's more you, than one English Harry, though. I mean, yeah. If you think about it, that means that she had just quietly assumed you were a member of the royal family that on all so previous cute. visits, which I think is awesome. I love that. She's like, his last name's Knight. He must be someone. Yeah, you do have a good point. On a, uh, on a royal wedding note, did you guys see that they... Um, that they asked for no gifts, but but to donations to certain charities, and one of them was Surface Against Sewage. That was super cool. Which oh, was quite really? Cool. Yeah, it was like about five charities, four of which seemed very worthwhile, and then one was Surface Against Sewage. Well, not that that's not worthwhile, but it wasn't like saving refugees or something. That's so okay. I suppose cool. you know that's that's a, a, a national celebration of a of a sickening amount of wealth gathered through racism and imperialism, but. On the other hand, they gave a bit of money to surfers against sewage. Yeah, so, pretty good. You know, <laughs> quits in. Is that a UK company? Surfers Against Surge is the British version of Surfrider like, Surf Foundation. As oh. featured heavily in the iconic surf movie Blue Juice, which I made <laughs> Maureen watch the other day. Oh, gosh. And we got, she got to the end of it and I was like, what did you think? And she went, well, I'm really happy that I never have to watch it again. <laughs> Whereas I was actually thinking it was surprisingly good. I'd watched it a few years ago and was quite appalled at how bad it was. And I feel like it's just now turned to the corner like a fine wine yeah. or maybe like a classic car. And it's, and it's kind of getting better with age now. You've got a young Ewan McGregor, young Catherine Zeta-Jones. I haven't seen it. So you have another uh. chance to watch it over again. We've got it upstairs, Jesse. <laughs> oh, We're going to watch it after the I podcast. I mean, I've seen it already. <laughs> oh, can I just tell you another funny thing my niece did? Oh, wait, so I had my nieces to stay recently, listeners. And it was very cool. And they had no fear, which is just bizarre. And if you go on Instagram, you can see a, a cool photo of my eight-year-old niece grabbing rail after we'd put on uh, Jamie O'Brien surfing pipeline up here at the house. And she was just like transfixed by the TV. And she was like, I'm going to go and do that. She's not totally in the barrel, but she's grabbing rail pretty well. <laughs> yeah. But we, so I, I don't know. I don't have kids, and I don't really spend much time with kids. So you know, the, those few weeks a year that I'm with them is just my only little go at parenting. And you know, and I, I'm new to this idea of someone just walking in the room and announcing that they're bored and putting it on you to create some kind of activity <laughs> for them. Yeah. And, um, so I came up with this idea where there's a few really good YouTube channels, right? There's like ASAP Science, and then there's one called Kruzgak. Kru, I don't know how you say it. Kruzgak stat or something like that. Kruzer stat. Mm. It's called in a nutshell. Anyway, they do like different ones on 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 kind of different sciencey kind of and philosophic uh, philosophical topics. So I'd say to them, right, go and watch a video. 
And then over dinner, you're going to explain the whole thing to me. And she decided to watch one on Are We Living in a Simulation, which we then had a long discussion over dinner, which was cool. And then she got home and my sister called me up and she goes, Gracie was in the back of the car and on the way back from school. She goes, Mummy, do you know we might all be living in a stimulation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So um, we're going to talk about we've all been away on a little trip. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. <laughs> what more detail? A little bit later on uh, in the show. Uh, but what else have you guys been up to? Because I haven't really seen you guys in a couple of weeks. Uh, I had I went to Florida and had the full Florida experience. And I know that sounds weird because I'm from Florida and I grew up there. But I've done when I went back, I've done things that I've never done. And I feel like that I let Florida down by not doing these things sooner. I'm sure, Asher, you've done this too. Was I got to go to Jenny Springs. Oh, it's like my favorite thing to What's do What's Jenny Florida. Springs? Jenny Springs is a, I don't even know if it's a town. What's the it's town a, it's called? A park. I think it's a, it's a state park, Jenny Springs State Park. And We've had a long tangent on the podcast before about the appropriate designation for towns, cities, and villages. So oh let's gosh. not get into that one again. Yeah, okay. So it's a state park, I guess, north of um, Gainesville, right? North of Gainesville, We're, but it has the population of a town in the summer months or city. Uh-oh, here pretty we go. But anyways, there's all these springs, and in these springs have caves. And I went cave diving. Spelunking. I, no, because it's under the water. Oh, does it have a cool word for it, like spelunking? Well, At I what point does spelunking become cave diving? When you splash. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. That's a terrible dad Still got me. I'm laughing. That was good. <laughs> but uh, it was really cool and very scary. If you guys have, have you guys ever been cave diving before? No, Free diving. No, so I would no, love to. Yeah, really crazy. But if you're claustrophobic like I am, like the anxiety levels will go up, up, up. Up, up, up to the point where you pulled Will's mask <laughs> off his face. I did. 14 <laughs> feet underwater in a cave. Yes. Okay. Is he still marrying you or not? Yes, I hope so. So basically I sat there deciding if I wanted to swim through this cave. And this cave is probably like 15 feet down. And then you probably go like maybe 15 feet around, like through this tunnel. And then come right. up the other side. And then you come up the other side. So what I had... Is the tunnel that you swim through horizontal or is it... It's is horizontal. It so okay, because all the time then you're sort of, your body's wanting to float up. So you're sort of stuck to the ceiling, I yes. guess, trying to like push yourself That's down. That's like right? my nightmare. Yeah, I know. So you have to go like deeper so you don't float up and hit the wall. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. And so what I had is I had Will swim me down, and then I had my brother meet me on the other side. And so as Will's swimming me down, he's in my way. So I'm freaking out and panicking, and I'm, like, pushing him out of my way so I could get through the cave faster, and I rip his mask off. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine I you're just focused on Keith's beard at the other end. It's just yeah. like a big shining red goal at the yeah. end of the tunnel. So at, my brother's at the end, open arms, ready to give me a hug, and I didn't even hug him. I was like, screw you, too. And I just, like, swam past my brother, and then I, like, looked down, and I just see Will and Keith hugging and embracing each other. <laughs> and for those of you who missed the last episode, so Jesse talks about staying calm underwater yes. on big wave hold downs. <laughs> Until you're put in a cave, like completely different. All goes out the window. There's a little one actually off Polzeth. Did you ever swim this one, Harry? Down off the reef off New Polzeth in, in Cornwall, where we're oh, doing when our the tides, trip. When the tide's in, that little swim through. Yeah, there's one where you go down and you have to swim into this kind of tunnel. It's not that long. It's probably like, yeah, 12 or 15 feet long. But you go 
you, the tunnel goes up a little bit and then in the middle you have to start swimming down oh, again no. in order to get out and Ooh. that moment when you turn the corner and start having to, to go down you really just feel yourself yeah. like you have to really like calm the panic right down so Keith, my brother, and Will like did multiple other caves that you had to do similar things to that, and I was just like, no way. So I did like the easier one, but they loved it. I find it like extremely intimidating, but it was cool. It was really awesome. And then the rest of the time, you come out of the springs, you get in an inner tube, and then you float down like this river with a beer in your hand. So is that more your vibe? And I was like, Florida. <laughs> it's very Budweiser <laughs> and Confederate flag heavy. Yeah, we <laughs> saw way too many Confederate like flags. Big trucks, Budweisers. Country music. Yeah. Good bumper stickers. My dad was in heaven. He was like, America. This is what it's like. <laughs> Sorry, dad. I know you're listening to this too. Um, and then the second thing that I did that I'm super proud as a Floridian was I uh, did mini lobster season in South Florida. So my grandfather is part of this like huge fishing club. And I arrived in South Florida the day before mini season started. So mini season is like a three day season that you can go get six lobsters per person. Um, and it just basically means that they've had since December till it was like a week ago. Yeah. So like six months for the lobsters to like produce and, and grow and stuff. And we went the day before the season starts there was, and there was lobsters everywhere. And so the next morning we went out and went snorkeling and, and free diving for lobsters. And we did pretty good. Pretty really exciting. Yeah. So it did was. You, did you. I, um, did you boil the lobsters? I didn't do anything. And we didn't even eat them that night either, which I, because we had to fly out like the next day. I don't know how I feel about the boiling of lobsters, so, you know? So, yeah. Well, Derek says that there's another technique to cleaning a lobster before Ooh, you boil grisly. them. Yeah. And there's like a twist, crackle in a pool <laughs> and a little scream from a baby oh, lobster. Those poor little guys. I know. I actually like was like, I don't know if I want to eat one because it was like a massacre, massacre of lobsters going on. Because the, 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 the little scream that they supposedly give when you put them in the hot water is actually just air coming out the shell. They don't make any noise at all. But what about when you twist them? Well, I, I still don't think that's their. I'm sure they don't like it. But I, I, I don't think that they're <laughs> capable they of do. screaming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I, yeah. So it was cool to be a part of it. But at the same time, it felt a little bad. But my brother, he's such an awesome human. I keep talking about him. And I know you listen to the podcast, Keith, so I love you. But um, he also speared a snapper. And I was like, we could live off the water. I don't know. It was really, it was a cool experience. Like, go home and cook the snapper. And then the next day, we got a couple lobsters. And Yeah, Keith would be on my list of people to be stuck in a group with in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. What's the movie with Tom Hanks and the baseball? <laughs> the basketball? <Yeah>. Ca- <laughs> castaway. Keith castaway. is the castaway. Yeah, the volley- <laughs> volleyball. He's got the same beard. He does. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So it was a it was a cool trip to Florida, and then um, we came back and caught some waves, started working, and yeah, it's been awesome, awesome little break. Very cool. And Ashley, you've entered another longboard contest. Well, yeah, I, I pretty much just spent the last week bumming around California. I, I, I had a bunch of friends I wanted to visit, uh, so I went up to San Francisco, and then I was on an ocean side. I got to go hang out at the Bing Factory a little bit, and. Um, yeah, thank you so much to Matt and Margaret Calvani for showing me the factory. They run a super tight ship. And, I love um, what you told me about their philosophy, or one of the guys' philosophy behind shaping. Yeah, so the the head shaper at Bing, and, and not Bing Copeland, he's, he's partners with the actual Bing family, but the head shaper at Bing now is, he basically described his philosophies. He, he has two boards that he really wants to get great at. He, he wants to shape the best, like, traditional logs so like the elevator the the levitator that you have just pretty traditional nose riding style boards and then 
he also spends pretty much his other time on mid-links to make surfing easy, pretty much. He he wanted to become the best at boards that got people into waves as easy as possible, had a lot of speed built in it, so kind of low rocker, um, but not too much that it would catch on the nose. That Yeah, he, his philosophy was essentially... You know, surfing is the most fun when you're catching the most waves and the speed allows you to do the most maneuvers. And yeah, he was just a really impressive guy. Did he do the collector, the Bing collector? He did the Bing collector. That is one of his models. I think we've spoken about it on the show before. I can't remember. But if any of you listeners out there want a board that's for for length, you're just going to catch more waves than you can possibly imagine, then get the Bing collector. It's just a brilliant board. Marine has the 7.4 and it's so fun. And you can set it up as a quad or a single fin. But if you set it up as a quad, you can lay down some really nice kind of cutbacks on it and surf it in some like pretty heavy, heavy waves as well. Mm -hmm. Sick board. And then, yeah, last minute I, I, I got a spot into the call to the wall contest at Malibu, which I was really excited about. Um, massive thanks to Sean Keeney and the group at Cardiff Surf Club. Um, it's a club contest, so you have to be entered with one of the coalition. And uh, yeah, Bing gave me a, a board for the event. They gave me a 9-8 they've been working on. And yeah, I got to surf Malibu with five people out like for five heats. Oh it was great. Gosh. That is pretty epic. That's oh, that was so pretty good. Awesome. That was pretty much a dream come true. That's like having a little bit of, that's having your own personal little teaspoonful of surf history. Oh, yeah. It's crazy when you go down to Malibu, it's nothing has changed since the 60s. Like Malibu itself is this, you know, it's it's quite an affluent area. It's it's really expensive real estate. It's lots of mansions and then as soon as you pull off the interstate next to the wall, it's like VW buses and people pull in and camp all weekend. It's it felt a lot like the ESA contest we did when we were kids. It's like parents with their kids and you got, you know, Joel Tudor skating around the lot and yeah, it was just a it was a ton of fun. I had the best time ever. It's almost like you don't see that anymore because at contests and stuff, like parents and kids are just so into it. Like you forget why contests are there, like to have fun and it's a community thing and you yeah. have lunch together, you know, or at least we did when we, Asher and I did when we were kids. So oh, yeah, it's that's so cool good. To, to hear that. And it was really cool to see like sort of an older generation, like, like Joel, for example, was there with his son and his son's like 13 now and is super into surfing and they were both in the contest and, yeah, it was just kind of cool to see it get passed down and at a, at a spot as historic as Malibu. Yeah, it was great. Oh, that's super cool. Really good time. Very cool. What about you, Harry? What about you, what Harry? What have you been up to? So uh, after our little trip in California, um, I stayed in California and I went and hung out in Santa Barbara for a little bit and did some paraglide training, which was pretty fun um unfortunately we got a bit skunked on the last two days we were going to go up into the mountains and do some big flights and then uh, the weather did not cooperate but i did discover a bit of california that i've never seen before i've sort of driven past it loads and loads and loads and it's if you turn off that coast road and just go into the mountains from sort of santa barbara rincon carpinteria and, and ventura if you just go into the mountains from there god it was stunning yeah. really really pretty um so that was cool and then i Flew back here. I had a pretty crazy turnaround. I, I got back here. I had eight hours in my house to unpack all my stuff from California and all my flying stuff and then pack boards and then drive back to the airport to fly to El Salvador for a week. And how was it? It was good. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, you had such a swell there. Yeah. It yeah. have been good. There was, there was a pretty big swell came through. Y- you were um, saying that you thought that right-hand point that you're at might be a good one to... Uh 
do a little coaching, a little surf simply coaching week there one day, potentially. Yeah, so we bounced around a little bit. We spent a bit of time down south in the sort of Las Flores area and then a little bit of time up in the, in the um, west end, more towards uh, Libertad. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think there was one spot there that would be really cool as a satellite project. Nice. Yeah. So stay tuned, listeners. Stay yeah. tuned. Yeah, I don't. But it, it, it was fun actually because I, I did take a shortboard, but in the end I never dug it out because it I didn't have a step up at all. But I just had that seven six kind of mid length, and um, yeah, just had a ton of fun rolling rolling into big waves on that. Oh, I think those boards are so much fun in big waves. Mm. It's the kind of Howard special style board, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you could just like snowboard and you can draw the longest lines ever. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Kind of cool. Back here in Nosara, the new resort is coming along, and the windows are supposed to be going in this week, actually, Ooh. which is really exciting. Well, that's, a big mo- that's always a big moment on Grand Designs, isn't it, when he comes in? Ah. Is it weatherproof yet? <laughs> yes, yeah, we got like the windows to, in last week. I like to walk around a bit listening to the Grand Design theme tunes of my Am I the only one who doesn't know Grand Designs? Oh, you should watch Grand Designs. You can watch it while me and Jesse are watching Blue Juice after the podcast. Oh, perfect. So good. Um, yeah, so that's all really exciting. And, and I wanted to thank everyone who uh, responded with personal messages and lots of lovely comments to the post that we put up on the Surf Simply Facebook page this week about the new resort. It was, it was kind of a, it was, it was funny, I was a bit nervous about putting the post up, although it might sound a bit odd. So, um, you know, the new resort that we have is in a much more kind of public location um, where we are now. People kind of, I guess they don't really, you wouldn't know that Surf Simply is there if you just drove past it. The new place, like, you're not going to miss it. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, you know, so a lot of people have been kind of coming out the woodwork and, and mostly being really, really supportive and nice about it, but also going, oh, you know, are you involved with this local charity? And, you know, you're clearly a big business in town and are you helping this place and are you doing this and that? And, um, and when I talk to people about it, and we are involved with a lot of stuff, and when I talk to people about it, they always sort of say, oh, you should, you should like, post more about all of the stuff that you do. And, like, I don't know, I've, I've always felt kind of weird about it. I've always felt like there are those businesses that do charity work and you see them post on their Facebook page or their website, like, front and center, every little thing that they've done for, for charity or for the community or for the environment. And you kind of start to get this feeling like they're doing the, the least they possibly can in order to be able to get the most publicity they can out of it. And I've always, like felt self-conscious about the stuff that we do because I haven't want people to look at us in that way. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of stuff for 10 years or so now. So anyway, I, I put up a, t- a, a post um, that we kind of put together and, and just was information about all the stuff we do with the local schools and helping with uh, solve the water problem here and for the, um, for the reforestation in the area and like a whole bunch of other stuff and just put it all together as one post and kind of put it up. And... Uh, and yeah, well, I've, I don't think I've ever been as nervous posting something because I just felt like this. I, honestly, I was like, my my dad wouldn't have approved. No. <laughs> my dad wouldn't. And then another part of me is like, you're forty, it's fine. <laughs> um, and and it was really nice. Like the response was just super overwhelming. Everyone, everyone kind of like wrote in and made a lot of nice comments. But the, the thing that the, the thing that made me post it in the end was two things. One was was a few people came up to me and they said, you know, like Surf Simply does all of this good stuff and you should you should allow the other people who work at Surf Simply to enjoy that they're part of it because, you know, that wouldn't be possible without all them. So if people don't know about it, they, they don't get to, you know, get the good vibes coming back to them. So I thought that was really important. And then the other thing was a lot of people pointed out, like, if you post this up, then you're kind of setting a bit of a standard and hopefully inspiring other businesses to kind of step up and, and do something similar, if, you know, if they can. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, I decided to post it, and it was just, and it was really nice, and I was overwhelmed with really nice messages. Um, quite a lot, I imagine, from listeners to the show. So thank you very much. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. And if you want to see it, it's uh, you can just go on our Facebook page. It's, I, I will. Uh, I'll put a link in to the show notes, oh, which awesome. you can grab for all the random things that we're talking about. You can go to surfsimply.com forward slash podcast. Uh, we will uh, have the show notes up there. And you can see my eight-year-old niece aggressively grabbing rail to surf her way through the bitter disappointment of discovering that Harry isn't part of the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a quick roundup of a few items that have been in the news. Uh, first of all, we have had some big swell uh, basically everywhere in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, huge swell rolling through Western Australia and into Indonesia, which looked incredible. And then at the same time, basically the same time, massive swell rolling up the west coast of South and Central America. So there's been tons of, of pretty incredible. I mean, it looked like it was basically a once-in-a-lifetime swell that hit Indonesia. You know, it was it was big but still clean. And then there's not a, an all-time swell that hit Central America, but still some big sort of Puerto Escondido and, and things like that. Have you guys seen the footage from Nias? Mm-hmm. And this the, is actually the boat going I over saw the, the falls. Boat. Yeah. No, no, but the video. This is actually in my. This is my what to watch. But, mm. So oh, don't want to ruin the end of the show for you, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's a, an edit. I think it's called just now off the chain Nias super swell. It's like a two and a half minute edit of just that massive swell hitting there, and it is. It's it's just bananas. That is the most clickbait title of anything that's not clickbait (laughs) ever. It's like definitely worth watching, but it's like the eight heaviest waves that came into Nias today. You won't believe number seven. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen that, but I did see the video where the the guy takes off on the wave, and there's just that huge step in the face that he has to go over as it doubles up. There's two of them that have got a massive step in the face. Do you know what? It's two minutes fifty. We're all going to watch it right now on my iPad on the mic. Okay. Are you ready? We can do it. This is good. This is worth it. Listeners, Harry is shaking his head <laughs> at us currently. <laughs> how, do I hit, how do I hit play? Is that it? No. Oh, come on. Okay, there we go. It's like watching my grandma download a video. I am worried that you are starting to become a bit of an old man. You got very... Fr- What's going on here? I'll rewind. You, you got caught out by the iPads in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen you trying to deal with. Look at this! Oh my goodness. I feel oh my Owen Mill. It's still spitting. Look how insane. This is only two minutes 50. <gasps> There's the boat. There's oh. the boat going over the falls. Oh my god. There wasn't anyone in it. What, happens, Look at this. what happens to a boat in that scenario? Does it dissolve? I think the boat came from a dock, didn't it? No way. Oh. That just happened. Oh, there's, there's Nathan Florence. No way does he make that. He's so deep Are in that thing. Isn't that insane? I don't know who this guy is, but check this wave out. Oh, oh my gosh. What are you thinking if you're in the barrel and you see a section like that coming at you? The, wait, the best is yet to come. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. He goes, look at this thing. Look at the step in it. Oh, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. even a wave. Look, he's, look how he's like just doing the grab rail back of the board stall as the whole double up overtakes him. Isn't that incredible? So there's a couple waves like Chopu and, and I guess Big Pipe in the world, but I can't think of any other right that breaks like Nias. I don't think Nias has ever broken like that before. Is there any... Do you remember the Nias section in Who is J-O-B? Not, yeah. the, not the YouTube series, but the movie that yeah. came out. That was, that was some of the most insane Nias that I'd ever seen. Yeah. And then apparently, 
around the time of Young Guns 2, I think, was that when the earthquake happened up there? And Kelly said that he thought the reef got lifted up, so it suddenly yeah. got a lot hollower. And yeah. previous to that, like if you read about um, Bill Bright, not Bill Bryson, <laughs> what's his name, <laughs> William Finken, yeah. right, surfing Nias, uh, you know, back in the day, it wasn't the same kind of shape at all, was yeah. it? No. I've heard, I've heard it actually. It's pretty good at like all sizes there. Yeah, but I heard the barrel is like really, really difficult to come out of. Like in most surf videos that I've seen of Nias, like they don't even make it out at the end. They just get closed out on. And that one, at least it was like holding Ooh, open good. for a long period of time. Yeah, although, well, as you saw, a lot of the guys didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, I guess the... that's like just a couple clips. It was funny. I was watching that with Marine last night, which is saying something because she doesn't generally watch surf videos and she was really into that one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we ended up talking about something and, and I can't remember how the conversation got there, but, you know, I made the point that it doesn't matter how big or small it is, you can only pull into a barrel if you're comfortable not coming out of the barrel. And I think that that's something that Jessie's <laughs> got her twi face twitch going. I, uh, you know, really? like that it's, it's just something that I think a lot of people, it's really obvious if you're good at riding in the barrel. And if you're not, it's just not obvious at all. But you have to just get to the place where you're really comfortable not making it out of any barrel that you pull into because chances are like quite high that you're not. Every certainly. time I pull into a barrel, I just pray to get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what you would do if you didn't pull into the barrel there. Like straightening out's not an option. No, no that you didn't can't. work out that no. well for the guys that straightened out. I, I tell you what, I realized, so this, this week that this swell hit was the week, was the same week that I was on the boat last July with um, Ty and Demir and Javier and Tabby. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were just going to do the same week again this year. That was the plan. So uh, by default, I was going to be out there on a, on a boat in this swell. And like, uh, you know, swell like this size hitting Indo is, is well outside my comfort zone. But if I was going to be there, I would want to be with Ty Graham in a jet ski. Have you seen footage of Ty Graham on the swell? I, 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 I saw that he was surfing with Harrison Roach somewhere on Instagram. Yeah, they went down to Scars, I think. Uh, it was Scar yeah, Reef, was it? Yeah, it was Scar Reef. And apparently it was just like huge. It was just maxed out. When I surfed Scar Reef, I was pretty scared. And it was like one-tenth of that size. Yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, Ty's the kind of guy I could imagine him just being like, right, mate, you're going to get one or not? Like, just <laughs> no, like, just all business. If you just have one <laughs> second to make a decision, otherwise like, you don't uh, get to have a go. Sure. I feel like I might have missed a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity there. Yeah. The, uh, the, the one that really got me, that just because it was so different in a way, was the, the shot of the, the tow team at Ulu's. To see a wave that big and that long yeah. was crazy. Have you seen the, the, the beach angle from that? No, I haven't. Because the drone angle really like shrinks the wave and makes it look not that impressive. The beach angle is amazing. This thing's like triple overhead at least. And it just goes all the way from the outside bomby takeoff all the way through down to the bottom of the reef. Oh, man. And apparently, the, the, so the crazy thing, because there's, there's been lots of controversy about like guys taking jet skis out on at, at Bali mm. and, you know, on days when it's just not necessary and it's kind of dangerous jet skis flying around all over the place. And this was like the one day nobody could paddle into the waves out there. One, one tow team in the water. No way. It's wow. the only one no, toasty. Ulu's is no joke if you get caught inside when it's high tide and there's just that tiny cave and all the water rushing yeah. past it. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to be out there without a jet ski. Yeah, I was thinking nope. at that size, I have no idea how you get in the cave. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I got stuck <laughs> when my board broke trying to get in the cave when it was about head high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had that and I had to paddle around to Padang Padang <laughs> on a broken board. 
I just th- there was so much current flowing past the entrance, I couldn't get in. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, rolling on from that, the only other big thing that's kind of really been bouncing around in the surf news is there is still, uh, I, we didn't even talk about this actually in the last episode because I kind of thought it was going to be a flash in the pan thing. Uh, but this controversy that has jumped up as to how you name uh, aerial rotations and whether we stick with the surfing ones, which to many people seem to undercall the rotation or do we jump to the snowboarding skateboarding definitions and uh, what I kind of thought was going to be a very small passing article on beach grit seems to have now run for three or four weeks and there was an article about it in the New York Times this is this is (laughs) such surf journalism literary masturbation it's unbelievable (laughs) surely an incredibly unhot debate (laughs) (laughs) nothing has ever mattered less you know it's like it literally whatever name it's given is the name it has just like uh, like avocados which i learned recently were called aguacates which of course is the original like inca or aztec name don't please don't write in i don't know which one it was and um, they just weren't selling very well in california and the, the farmers just got together one day and were like we just need to change the name so people can say it and they just wrote down like avodado, acavavo, avocado, davaavo. And one of them was like, oh, the third one. And they're like, avocado? And they're like, yeah. And they went to the local paper and they went, can you just tell everyone they're called avocados now? <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> That's all they've got to do. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, there we go. So, yeah, just to, for anyone that hasn't read the, uh, the, the read into this controversy, basically the, the standard within surfing is that a... For, for, let's describe what the guy's doing. Okay. Who's that? Albie Leia, right? He's going well, down yeah. a wave on his backhand and he does essentially an alley oop, but he over rotates an extra like half a turn or a whole turn. Extra half turn or so. And the everyone's very upset whether it's called a 540 or a 360. Very or, upset. Yeah. And Tony yeah. Hawk just stepped in and said, it's not even a backside, it's a frontside, but I suppose surfers will probably call it a backside or is it the other way around? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of complication to it. But the basic thing is that the it, within surfing... To land a 360, you take off heading up the wave face and you land with your nose pointing towards the beach. So to a lot of people, that is more than 360 degrees of rotation because if you're pointing up the wave face and then start spinning and land with your nose pointing down the wave face, you have to go past 360 degrees. Now, what a lot of people are then pointing (laughs) out... Jesse and I, listeners, are turning (laughs) our hands around in the air trying to count turns. Um, now, the, the the point that a lot of people make is that if you imagine that the sort of clock face thing, generally people are launching at about 2 o'clock, 2.30 up into the air, and they're not coming down straight at 6 o'clock, they're coming down at 4 o'clock or so. So and it's not, a, it's not a 540, it's not a 360, it's somewhere around a 400 degrees of rotation. So what do you name it? I bet out of all involved parties, Albie Layer cares the least. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one article where Kelly said it was like, oh, you should call an Albi-oop. Yeah, Albi that, like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was like, shh, <laughs> don't ever say it again. He was probably like, shush up. <laughs> no. I like Albi-oop. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, so as uh, an, uh, just another little bit of news that is a... Uh, uh, again, a crossover from the surf world into the weird out-of-the-bubble world. Uh, Tesla have just released a surfboard 
which is fairly obviously it's a, a marketing thing. They've teamed up with Matt Biolas, who's the shaper at Lost, uh, and they're spray painting the boards and, and laminating them with, with the help of Tesla. It's almost um, as if they do things like this just to get people on podcasts to talk about it. Yeah. God damn it, we fell into that trap. We're not your playthings, Elon Musk. Do you think the new Tesla surfboards will be able to detect if someone drops in on you? <laughs> and Put stop you from moving forward? <laughs> that's Put a, up a dark joke. That's a dark Do you joke. Like it? Forward sensing radar. Yeah. <laughs> You've been dropped in on brakes. <laughs> uh, I wonder how much the Tesla boards are. A lot. Yeah. I, like, I, I read the description and, it, and one of the main selling features was that it would fit in a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this board will fit in any of our things. Uh, it is fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, Whoa. that's not too bad. I feel like we all have boards that cost more than fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> so if it was in Oloala here in Nosara, it'd be like one of the cheapest ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is, th- th- this isn't, I wasn't going to put this as my what to watch, but I just thought it'd be tangentially surf related. Um, there's a, a book called Breath by Tim Winton. There's an Australian author. It's quite a good book. Um, it's got, I think, I've got, I think, some of the, the better literary descriptions of surfers and, and what it's like to surf um, in it. But it's, being made, uh, it's been made into a movie in Australia that has had some pretty good reviews on its release. I don't know whether it's being released worldwide or whether it's coming out in the, in the States or anything. It may just be a, a, an Australian release. I, I watched the trailer for it the other day, actually, and mm. the trailer looked like it was very beautifully filmed in terms of just the cinematography and the scenery. Mm. And like it's in the 70s, you know, someone's mm. got old boards and stuff, and it looked pretty cool. Um, and I read some reviews, and the author of Breath, whose name is Tim Winton. Yeah, he, so he actually is the narrator in the movie. Oh, that's cool. So he's the, the, the movie is all a flashback to when, you know, the fictional character is a kid and he is the older version of that character. There's a line in it when he talks about surfing and he says, never have I seen men do something so beautiful, so pointless and elegant, as if dancing on water was the bravest thing a man could do. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Oh, and I like that. What Rolling Stone said about the movie was, um, Breath is a film of moments that don't always tie together, but when they do... Oh, how they saw! Yeah, Ooh. it's um. I mean, the 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 book is is like I say. I think it's got some of the some of the the best literary descriptions of what it's like to be a surfer from an almost like from a non-surfing perspective. Um, the 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 the, the majority of the book isn't about surfing. Um, it's about a slightly creepy sexual fetish relationship between a an older woman and a child but yeah i think it's got a slightly itumama tambien kind of vibe about the movie uh which is an epic film as well you ever seen that film no oh so we'll link to that in the show notes very very cool film by a mexican director his name Mm. escapes me but anyway um it's got that kind of vibe about it It looks like the, the way that it's shot and everything um but i think that that if it is good and i don't know it might be terrible but if it is good i think that's why it'll be good because a lot of surf a lot of feature films about surfing make the mistake of trying to be about surfing. Yeah. And because surfing is essentially quite simple, there's not, you know, much going on there apart from actually enjoying the sport itself. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, introduce bank robbers and <laughs> whatever else <laughs> they need to bring in to make the whole thing work. Um, and then a film, that I, and I think this is the only great uh, feature film about surfing, which is Big Wednesday, because it's not really about surfing, it's about the people. And mm. surfing is just the one common thread that runs through the whole film and kind of ties it all together. Um, 
And they may, be, they may be doing that with this movie. I don't know. But I think yeah. that's the trick to making a, a good surf movie. Speaking of uh, surfing and movies, I was, this is going to be one of the most hipster sentences that I ever say in my life. I was hanging out in the dais in Venice Beach with Ben Knott, director of uh, Drift, and Craig Pierce, who we all know very well, the screenwriter of Moulin Rouge and um, Great Gatsby and various, and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it was pretty hip. Yeah, so we were, we were hanging out in dais in Venice Beach because that's kind of hip guy that I am. <laughs> and, and actually, I must say, I hadn't met Ben. I know Craig really well. He's a great guy, uh, and he stays here all the time. Um, but uh, I hadn't met Ben before. He's a super cool guy. But we were talking a little bit about a subject that we discuss on the show a lot, which is the WSL needing to create a kind of narrative at the end of their day. And Craig Pierce is really, really excited to go and work with the WSL. So I said to him, I'll say it on the podcast in case Dave Prodden is listening. So if you're listening, WSL, Dave Prodden in particular, Craig Pierce, award-winning screenwriter, uh, wants to go and work for the WSL, specifically doing the job of creating narratives out of the day for the end of day, you know, like wrap up show. So That's there awesome. you go. There you go. My work is done. <laughs> and he rips that surfing. He's, and he's a really, really good surfer. Yeah. A really, really nice guy. An amazing screenwriter. So there you go. There we go. Over to you guys. <laughs> I wish yeah. I could be that hipster. <laughs> Sorry, that was my peak hipster. Now I'm just, I'm in decline from here. Now you're going down from there. Yeah. <laughs> So finally, uh, we've had two contests that have run while we've been off air. Uh, first up was the Padang Padang Cup, which is a WSL specialty event. Um, Jack Robinson won. Uh, it was pumping. It was amazing. It's a one, it's a one-day event, and it kind of comes and goes. And if you're not in the right time zone, you basically miss it, um, which is unfortunate for us because we're in exactly the opposite side of the world. Um, but some of the highlights of it are fantastic. I think I think he got three nines and a ten. Yeah, it was through, amazing. Uh, it just yeah, in, insane surfing. Really, is really Jack cool. Robinson the best surfer not on the world tour? I know he's your favorite surfer, Asher, and you always talk about it. <laughs> do you, do you, have, you do have that massive yeah. poster of him inside your locker? I feel like you definitely have like a, a crush on him. I I yeah. I think Jack Robinson is certainly the. Uh, he is one of the best people in Waves of Consequence. Like, he's got to be on or off the tour. He's one of the one of the best people at just positioning himself and picking waves in Waves of Consequence. I haven't seen him surf in like small crappy waves all that much. Like I don't know how he'd do at Snapper Rock or Brazil or two foot Huntington. Like <laughs> Hope we can get that uh, walk card. <laughs> yeah, he'd be a, a good guy to see on tour. Um, yeah, uh, and then. Bigger and more important, of course, we had the uh, CT event at J-Bay. Um, the, the men and, for the first time, the women uh, competing in that event. For me, Felipe Toledo is now the man at Jeffreys Bay. I mean, there's been... Oh, the, he's the man. I yeah. think he's just the man. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's been, there's been kind of the current, like, was the J-Bay guy and kind of Oki was the J-Bay guy and kind of maybe Parco, you know, but... Um, but yeah, Felipe Toledo, it's, it's like he went, he's like he watched John, John Florence's cutdowns and he was just like, I'm going to learn how to do them. And he just came back and he did. And yeah. linking them together, like it, the power and the flow, which, you know, he's always been the small wave tricks guy, hasn't he? So obviously the all, always the criticism of Felipe Toledo is in big left barrels. And have you seen the footage of him in Chopu this week? No. Well, that f 
storm that slammed everywhere else slammed Chopu. And there's the shot going around the internet of him pulling in on a mean one. Yeah, I did see that actually. Yeah, oh, that's that's a, it's on his Instagram, isn't it? Look at this thing. Oh my goodness. Wait till he does an alley loop loop yeah. loop in the barrel. <laughs> he does an alley, alley loop. loop in that one. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, that's legit. That's really amazing. But then, you know, when it comes to the contest, it's going to be a question of, is that, you know, was that his one wave that he got? You know, it's, it's all about consistency, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. every guy on tour has got an epic shot like that and tons of guys not on tour too. And, you know, the reason that it's, it was Medina and Slater and John John that were just the standouts when Chopu got that big last time was because they could do it every time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wave after wave. Yeah. 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 I guess if you can have, what, two throwaways a year? And if he could get a result at Chopu or Pipeline, then now he's in a really good spot. Yeah. yeah. Who, who would you guys like to see win? Oh, I think Toledo surfs is doing the best surfing on tour right now. Yeah, he's been, like, standing out the most to yeah, me, too. Yeah, especially because John John's injured. Mm. And I feel like he's, like, a really likable... He's pretty likable. Really likable character. I've never met him or spoken to him or anything. But Not he because just... I'm biased, but I would like to see Julian Wilson... Win a world title. <laughs> he's handsome. Yes, I know. But he's also a really good surfer. <laughs> but he yeah. never, ever sounds excited about anything. I know. Doesn't that bother you? I wish he would like just be like, yay, or yeah. something. Even <laughs> when he's just like, won an amazing heat or the Pipe Masters. And they're like, Julian, how is that? And he's like, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stoked. Uh, so yeah, uh, Philippe Toledo beat uh, Wade Carmichael in the in the final, which was was pretty cool. And then uh, I don't think anyone was particularly surprised that Steph Gilmore kind of walked away with the uh, with the first. Yeah, she was there. never gonna not win that contest. Yeah, that's just her wave, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Morgan Mason was filming her the whole event, so I can't wait to see the edit they do. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it's seen a couple of still frames of it, and it looks insane. No, it's gonna like, be fun. Steph Gilmore is who ninety plus percent of listeners to this podcast should look at in terms of how to serve men or women. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Despite the Jake Bay event, men and women's event being really good, great swell, great conditions, uh, the whole thing really was just marred in a bit of controversy. Uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, uh, the switch was made to where you could only watch through uh, Facebook Live. Um, and clearly, Facebook Live was not quite ready to deliver the product that, that was necessary. There was no heat replays available. There was no heat analyzer available. There was no uh, time zone adjustments. It, it, it just wasn't there. There were tons of people getting dropped streams, tons of people not able to connect. Not to mention Facebook Live just seems to be a hotbed for not that casual racism. Yeah, and negativity. It, yeah. it makes you it makes you realise yeah the how like nationalism and patriotism are just a sneeze away from racism. Yeah. And as soon as you unleash people with the anonymity of a, of a computer, it just turns ugly. Oh. I like w watching those comments go on the side. Just uh, kind of made me slightly ashamed to be a a, a human. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so it, it in fact got so bad that in the end, the WSL dropped the Facebook live stream, went back to using their own in-house system. Which you, you mean that you mean that the, the technical issues got so bad, not the blatant racism? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they might have all played into it, but one way or another, they actually dropped that. So I have no idea what that what effect that would have in terms of the the contract that they've signed with Facebook to 
Um, I think it was a couple of million dollars over the course of the two years to stream everything through Facebook Live. So I have no idea what yeah, the From what I've heard, that was a pretty big cash flow source for the WSL for the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how that, that factors. I wonder if they'll try it again or... Well, they've, they've said that they are still committed to the contract, that they're going to retry it. Facebook are going to try and bring stuff up to speed to where it will work. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty weird. It seems <laughs> pretty obvious that Facebook is the wrong place for any kind of opinion. Like that live stream <laughs> is just like the oh worst thing. It's not like, okay, listeners, let's just have a moment. Let's take a moment. Facebook is not a place to have any kind of nuanced discussion ever. Like a comment stream is not the place to do it because people just strawman each other, which means you exaggerate someone's opinion and then you argue with your exaggerated version of their opinion instead of the, the most generous interpretation of what they might have said. And like, you know, and that's what that's proved by the fact that no one in a Facebook comment stream ever writes, oh, yeah, you're right. I just changed my mind. Thank you. Like, have you ever seen that in a Facebook comment no. stream? So just never, ever, ever argue with anyone via text message, particularly in a Facebook comment stream. It's just so unproductive. And, and when you're using Facebook, like, please, listeners, don't get your news from Facebook Facebook is amazing for sharing photos of where you went on holiday and like nice things that you've done. And everyone is very upset about the whole like social media radicalizing people's opinion. Just don't get your news from Facebook. It's not a news platform. <laughs> don't like look at links on Facebook. That's not what it's for. Like just look at people's photos. That's what it's designed for. That's what it's really good at. Like you can solve this problem in your own life, listeners. It's very easy. <sighs> there we go. Um, the the other thing that was an upset for me actually was. Uh, the Highline event, which last year was, I thought, like one of the best bits of the whole tour was when the, the four guys went out on the old retro twin fins and were just drawing all those lines. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing this year, but they were different boards that they gave them and they looked shit. Yeah. The I, boards looked terrible. I was so excited to watch the Highline and then you told me how shit the Highline was and then I was like, ah. <laughs> oh. I'm definitely going to watch it now. I got to get a good podcast opinion. I can't find it anywhere. Yeah, it's, well, it's because it's on this Facebook live thing. <laughs> yeah, you can't it just find disappeared the from, from the web. You can't, <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. It's honestly, it was terrible. The, 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 the boards look like a slightly more like of a modern take on a twin fin design rather than the, the, the full retro mm -hmm. style designs. And even like Steph Gilmore was in it this year. Even she was bogging rail in, in bottom turns. No, and I just don't believe coming it. Out, coming out of, bot coming out of bottom turns. That must be why they deleted it from the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this never it, happens. Yeah, I, it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable for me to watch at all in the way, in the way that the, the, the previous one was. Oh, it's such a bummer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, very quickly to wrap this up, uh, on the fantasy surfer results, uh, for the men, um, Kelly's gang won the event and Boogie Border for Life is still currently in the lead. Uh, on the women's event, No Clue and Grace and Flo drew in first place, uh, but Barrel Slayer is in the lead overall. So well done to all of you guys. Uh, next event for the men is Chopu, uh, which starts August 10th. And uh, the women is the joy that is the US Open, which started today. So yeah, there we go. Get your teams in. Good luck. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. As we have been hinting at all the way through this uh, episode, we had a pretty exciting little time over our last little break. Uh, we had the opportunity to go to Lemoore in California and spend a day 
playing around at the Kelly Slater Wave Pool, uh, which was awesome. We got an opportunity to take a bunch of our people that stayed with us at Surf Simply in the past, and we took them along there and had a little play to see what it's like coaching in that environment. My whole life goals have now changed. <laughs> any, any of you listeners that listened to a recent interview I did with People and Company, there was some nonsense about making people happy. I just want to build my own surf ranch. <laughs> That's all I want now. Uh, so yeah, we, we, had a, we had a great time. We All four of us got a shot at getting a, a couple of waves. Uh, Rue and Jesse, you both followed the instructions <laughs> perfectly and so, so <laughs> listeners when you when you show up the big thing that they tell you is look don't just just surf the wave gently cruise through get to the end of the wave because you'll you'll you know you'll kick yourself if you don't make the whole wave at least you on know. your first one at least on yeah. the first couple you know once you get a feel for it start throwing some away and start being a bit more risky so oh no so so Rue, jesse and me got a chance to get in the water the day before that we were going to be teaching her and uh yeah, I, I ignored that instruction. <laughs> I think you <laughs> made the right choice. on both of my waves. So did Asha. Um, I, love yeah. What, yeah. I love what you said to me before when you were, everyone told me not to pull in really deep on the first barrel. I just assumed they were all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured, so I think that advice doesn't apply very well when you get one wave, right? It, if, you, if, I, if you get one right and one left, and the right is just like incomparably better, um, in my opinion, than the left. So... I don't know. If I surfed that wave as hard as I could, there was potential for it to be the best wave of my life. Basically, what happened was we we uh, we decided to put together a day where we would go along, surf simply, and collaborate with the Surf Ranch, and then run a day of coaching using as close to what we do here in Asara as we could, given that it's it's you know a completely different environment. Um, and then it would be a, kind of a, a, a cool experience for them to see what we do in a amazing experience for us to to get to coach there and see how we would be able to coach there and it was that was kind of interesting we'll talk about that a little bit more so we brought along 12 surf simply guests and then we also had harry and jesse and i who arrived the day before um and then harry and jesse and i got to have two waves that afternoon um before the next day started and i've never been so nervous getting up on a wave when our, our guests all had like 10 or 12 priority waves and then another another 10 or 20 like poaching waves but we only had like a couple of waves each. And, and, and I was looking down the line at Asher as he took off on his first wave. And you were just so deep as that thing just went really, really yeah. square. And I was like, there is no way. And you just got, you just got destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine wasn't even the lunch break. It was b the first time they turned the pool on. Oh, so yeah. it, was, it was early in the morning. Yeah, we it? had done an all-nighter the night before driving in. And then it oh, was don't the strangest experience. <laughs> you like get in this pool. It's, it's just a concrete lake. Yeah. You just get in there and like it doesn't even look like it's possible for a wave to break in there. And they're like, oh, you go stand by pole 76. Yeah. And you go wade out in this concrete pool. You're like, oh, I, th I think there's going to be a wave here. And then the train starts pulling and it goes. And it moves at you. And, and all of a sudden this flat lake, it, it just it's crazy angular wave comes. It's amazing. Yeah. It's I think you got thrown to the wolves on that one because... You were the first surfer to go of the first wave of the morning. So Asher's sitting there. I remember watching you from the other end of the pool. And you, Asher never got to see <laughs> any examples before. And you can watch YouTube videos all day long. But I'm sure you guys agree with me that 
you sitting there and it having come at you is just a complete different experience. Oh, it's totally different. And I, I, so I guess you were the only person, Asher, who surfed it and had never seen a wave even roll through the no. lake before. Yeah, it was the strangest experience yeah. ever. And, and when that wave first comes up at you and you turn around, it's not that big. It's, it's almost impossible to imagine a wave will be there at all. Yeah, and then suddenly you turn around and you start paddling and the first bit's kind of slow and you do a couple of pumps. And then that first barrel section happens and it races off. It, like, it really stands up and races off. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you just you were so yeah. far behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And then Harrison, Harrison I think got in the in morning it just was me, Teal, Tommy, and then Harrison was the fourth. Yeah. That's why I was. He, he had a couple. He had a few. Yeah. Yeah, actually, he got to poach, I think, on your wave that you fell off. Mm-hmm. So by the time he got to take off at the top, and then, yeah, he just, like, slotted himself in and just got the full, I don't know what oh, it was, like, 12-second barrel all the way down. Oh, it was past amazing. Me. It was so good. If listeners, I, hate that guy. <laughs> I know it's so jealous. Harrison still hasn't wiped the smile off his face. No, cool I know. Thing. he's like still in a very he grew a mustache after that. He's yeah, exactly. like, I'm not cool. <laughs> he didn't have a mustache when he pulled in. No, when he came out, he, came he out, grew he a mustache. <laughs> amazing. Um, I do recommend like if if any of you guys are gonna go surf it, um, I do recommend watching it because we had Rue, Harry, and myself had all day to watch it that and we got to watch it from the other end of the pool and then we got to watch it from where the operator stand is and like the lifeguard stands and stuff so we got a lot of examples and like a lot of surfers messing up before we had our our turn so and it was, it and it was nice helped. as well so the, the way we were coaching listeners uh, was that Harry, we, we, it was kind of interesting because we didn't quite know how we were going to do it. And we arrived there the day before and Harry and Jesse and I were there all day the day before trying to figure out different ways that we could coach. And what I was really nervous about was just the logistics. Like, how long is it going to take for us to, like, get people out of the water, to upload the footage and, and, and then get everyone sitting down, go through stuff? What kind of feedback are we going to be able to do in between waves in the four-minute gap versus what's going to be better to do when we're back in the video coaching room doing feedback and then what's the switch over time going to be like getting them back in the water it was just you know like anything the devil's in the detail and I I was so mindful that we got all of that stuff right and at the beginning of the the day before when we were going to prep we didn't even know how exactly we were going to do it we had like a few different plans so we spent that for that first day a lot of it we were riding up and down on the jet skis you know watching other people surf with the cameras and we were filming off the back of the jet skis which is how we ended up doing it and I thought worked really really well yeah going into it I kind of, you know, had this this plan in my head and I didn't know how much coaching we were going to be able to do because I didn't know how much people were prepared to risk because, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to surf this wave. And like, I, I, this is opposite of what we'd usually do in the ocean, but I kind of wanted everyone to surf safe and get to the end of the wave, at least at the start, like we were saying. So I started off the day by just coaching people to the end of the wave and then by fixing the errors that they'd made that might have stopped that happening. And then once I saw their comfort level rise, I would start to use those slow sections of the waves to get them to really surf top to bottom. And then obviously kind of trying to line up the barrel on the fast parts of the wave, especially the second barrel section at the end where they're not really losing anything if they come off. And and then those were the two branches that the coaching went in as the day went on. And I found it became easier and easier once 
the guys that were surfing got more comfortable with the pole numbers, like, you yeah. know, which number you take off at, which number the barrel starts at. So that was kind of how my day evolved. I kind of like cast a wide net and then I saw what errors popped up and then corrected them and tried to go into top to bottom carves and, and barrels. So yeah, like, what did you guys have in mind and, and how did you think it through and how did it end up working? Yeah, very similar. I, I just wasn't really sure what would happen when we put those guys in the water, you know, we, we, like you say, we turned up the day before and it's all these kids with a million stickers all over their boards. And they're obviously having no problem at all on the wave, but like what, what's going to happen when, when we're working with clients? Well, how are they going to surf? So yeah, the, the first couple of waves, the first heat that we did in the water is really just trying to focus on, on getting the guys down the line. And a couple of my guys had problems where they were, you know, dropping too low on the takeoff and the white water would run away ahead of them or not, not quite getting the paddle technique. Um, you have to do this funny sort of S paddle to get the wave um, and not quite timing the turns on that S quite right. And so t tweaking all of that. I thought that, that bit of information that Will gave us you know the guy the manager there mm. about paddling horizontal to the fence and as soon as the wave lifts the back of the board mm. paddle 45 degrees away from the fence and as soon as you're up you know angle back into yeah. the fence like, that was the piece of advice that I was giving people over and over yeah. again yeah and, likewise and the guys and it was great having the guys in the water helping them with oh, the, their, the, the their water team were fantastic because mm. my real worry was that we I mean not so much once we got there and once we'd had our waves but when we were sitting on the plane flying up there, I mean, I, my thought was, what if we put 12 people in the water and they just miss every single wave that comes through? Like, yeah. What do we do at that point? And so that, so that so, was... So, so let's, let's talk about the, how we worked with their team in a moment. But mm. go back to what you were saying about your coaching strategy, Harry. Oh, so sorry. So, so yeah, exactly as you said, uh, pretty much once we got that first heat out of the way, I think everybody got at least... Uh, I think all of my guys got at least one good clean wave. So I felt, you know, at that point, I felt a lot more relaxed. And, and then very much as, as you were playing around with starting to use those softer sections to just get the guys working up and down the wave face. And actually, I particularly was focusing with my guys on using their whole body to compress and extend through the pumping. Um, a, lo a lot of the um, surfing that was going on was a little, a little stiff on the board. So trying to get the, the body a bit more relaxed using the whole body on the, on the wave face. And then, yeah, as the wave was standing up, um, we, we spoke about this actually a little bit. We were, we were trying to think about you know, the language that we wanted to use to, to get people onto the barrel. But, but that process of, of having, having two-directional control over the board in such a way that, that, that people could slow down or speed up or go up the wave face or down the wave face without affecting the opposite axis. So to of slow the board down without getting sucked up over the wave or to uh, bring the board down the wave face without accelerating out, you know, to, to be able to control just one of those dimensions on the wave face. Because what was happening, happening initially, I don't know about for you guys, but the guys were starting off like pretty high. And so you'd have to get them to drop down a little bit so that they could get into the barrel. But then as they drop low, they'd just shoot straight out in front. Or they'd be really nicely positioned altitude-wise, and you'd say, okay, now put the brake on. They'd put the brake on and just start getting sucked up the yeah, wave face. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time just talking about those finite controls. And, and you know, as you put the brake on, okay, just as you put the brake on, a little bit of a turn away from the wave face so that you're, you're now pointing a bit more straight to the beach so you don't get lifted up the wave face. And just, just being able to control those little things. 
um, which was really fun. It was it was interesting as well, actually, seeing how the different boards responded in those situations, because some of the boards the guys were riding, particularly the Omni, just seemed to work so well in that. Those little fine motor controls was just so easy to do. And then some of the other boards, particularly the ones that had a bit of a wider tail block, would be so twitchy when you were sitting back on them like that. And it, it was it was a little tricky for some of the guys. I thought as the, as the bigger boards, the CXs worked well mm. as well. Well, again, yeah. nice, nice pulled-in tail block. Yeah. We had um, Jordy Smith's board. You rode that too, didn't you? Yeah. Which was that, the 5.9 Omni? It was 5.8 Omni, I think. 5.8 Omni, yeah. And I think Craig rode that and he... Quite a spread job on it. Yeah. Pretty cool. With Jordy. All of my four guys, like, they came up to me and they were like, all I want to do is just get barreled. So that's I, what, that's, I think that's what everyone... Everyone who's once they've got a few waves at the pool, you just want to try to get barrels. I pushed them more than that. I was like, all right, let's get one that we ride it all the way in. And then after that, like, let's just go for it. And I think we were all on the same page, which was cool. But um, and just rewinding a little bit, I, too, had some nerves about catching the wave because we heard so many other people saying, like, the hardest thing about the wave is catching it. And then what really clicked with me and I think what clicked with all of our guests which was really cool, was that it was just like a high tide, catching a high tide wave at Guiones. Did you think it was strange how everyone kept saying it's so hard to catch? Yeah. I, I'd heard that so many times. I yeah. And I got in the pool and I was like, okay, this is going to be really hard. And yeah. it's like, it's really pretty easy. I mean... Compared to a, a wave in the ocean, it moves at a slightly uh, offset angle, like not quite 45 degrees, but uh, a few degrees to the fence line. So maybe if it was your first time, it, it, it might be a little bit difficult, but once you have one or two repetitions, I, I mean, I thought it was dramatically easier than a wave in the ocean to catch. I, I think if you if you just looked over your shoulder once at the wave and then turned around and paddled, assuming it was going to do what an ocean wave would do, you'd probably end up in the wrong place and miss it. Maybe that's what they meant. Yeah, but I, overall, I think that kind of build-up that it was such a difficult wave to, to catch was a bit misleading. I mean, it, it, it almost is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's almost hard because you think it's going to be hard, but yeah. it really is like... If you just went into it with no expectations, it's, it's pretty easy. I do wonder as well whether the fact, maybe because we were so aware that we were going to be coaching on the wave. Yeah. I mean, myself and Jesse spent the entire week beforehand <laughs> watching videos in slow motion of people paddling in and catching waves from the, from the, the Founders' Cup event. And as it turned out, in an entirely different place that they were taking off as to where everyone else takes off anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but nevertheless, I, I think we'd watched so much footage at that point. I wonder whether we were going in better prepped than, than a lot of people. You know, I think a lot of people watch the video and go, oh, that's sick. Look at that barrel. Look at that barrel. Look at that barrel. And we'd spent so much time thinking about the problem of how we're going to get people into the waves. Yeah. That I, I don't know, maybe, maybe just on a subconscious level, maybe we were a little better prepped. And a, and a, a lot of, you know, the, the guys at the pool were saying, oh, we've had, you know, world champions miss their first three waves. Yeah. And I wonder if that's just that, that a world champion might just show up and assume that they're not going to have a problem and not really have engaged with the videos and, 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 and the, the content that's available in the way that we had done. Yeah, my guy said that or when they did miss waves, I was like, was it hard to read or what? Like, why do you think you missed that catching that wave? And they said, like, I'm exhausted because obviously, <laughs> oh like, God, yeah. just surfing <laughs> yeah. one wave, like, is already exhausting enough. So when then they're put back in the water to then catch a wave for a whole nother minute, they're like, I, I think like I just couldn't paddle 
from a physical point of view. So uh, when you go there, if you ever get the chance to go there, listeners, just go. It's like it was one of the most enjoyable days of my entire life without a shadow of a doubt. It was just absolutely fantastic. And and actually, I do want to say a big thank you to Max Novena, who, who set the whole thing up, and to Pete Josie as well, and also to uh, Sam, and to, who's the general manager there, and to Will, who just yeah. kind of does all of the taking care of the people. He's great. And then Ryan and James, the two jet ski drivers, Ryan the lion. Ryan the lion. <laughs> um, yeah, so all, all of the guys are amazing. And usually when we collaborate with um, other places, when we're doing satellite projects, uh, there's usually some area where we need to like jump in and pick up a little bit of slack somewhere. But I thought these guys were, were really fantastic. I was really impressed. And one other thing that we were talking about is we were trying to figure out how we were going to collaborate with them as from a coaching point of view. Because these guys know this wave inside out and back to front and have seen all kinds of surfers from the best in the world uh, down surfing it and seen all the mistakes they've made. And we were really mindful that, you know, we didn't want to stand in between the knowledge that those guys had and, and our guests because we were doing coaching along the format that we would usually do in the ocean. So we kind of, we kind of did this, this idea where they would have one guy on the ski, we'd be on the back of the ski with the camera, and then we'd have two of their guys that were swimming in the water at each of the takeoff spots that were coaching the guys who were paddling into when to paddle and when to angle and how much by holding up their hands. Yeah, they were called um, water guides. Yeah. They called them water they guides. They called them guides, yeah. And then and then they, then the ski driver who knew exactly when the fast and slow sections on the waves were coming up, so Ryan and James would, would call, like, okay, here comes the barrel section, here's the turn section, while we were filming. And then we would kind of go over the body mechanics of what was going wrong and what maneuvers to try to do in future and what the body mechanics of that would be mostly when we were doing the video feedback afterwards and, and our coaching in the water was kind of minimal. And I thought it worked really well. And especially with, with James, who just blew me away. I thought he was great. And yeah. there was three or four times during the day that I had guys inside the coaching room and I would be going over body mechanics stuff and, and some maneuver choices. And we would get back in the water and I hadn't even had time to convey to James what I'd been going over. We'd jump on the ski and we were like dropping people off. And then as people were going into waves, James was calling out stuff to them that I had just been over with them yeah. in the room. And I was like, I, I wanted to like put the camera around and high five him. I was like, oh, this, this is like, couldn't have worked better. And, and it was great from the guest's point of view because, you know, the whole thing's fitted together. But I've seen coaches working together and seen how mixed those messages can get so easily. So from my point of view, I was, I was really impressed with how on point they were. Yeah, I was as well. Unfortunately, I did get far too excited about the ability, like the fact that we were on the back of the jet ski, I mean, literally high five distance away from the guys and able to talk to them while they're on the waves. And, well, you guys know I can be quite loud sometimes. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I fear I may have talked over the top of the useful information that James and Ryan were trying to give them on occasions. But, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm waiting to see. Jose, who makes all of our videos, came along and he's, he's going to put a little edit together. So hopefully that will be, uh, be ready and I can add it to the show notes. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, he started using audio from from the cameras, you know, rather than just having music playing over the top every now and then when, uh, particularly me and Rue, when we're in the water swimming, you know, if, if someone's coming past us and we give him a little hoot or we're shouting an instruction, he's been leaving that, that in in the sound bed. A little hoot, Harry? A little hoot. Again, this is me, probably not. But, uh, yeah, I'm very worried about what's going to happen because <laughs> I know that I was shouting my lungs off on the back of that ski holding yep. the camera. So <laughs> We brought three computers. We brought two... 
27-inch monitors because we didn't know if they were going to have, you know, the right screens and everything. There. We brought how many in-water housings? Two water housings, I think. Two water housings, a drone. We had like, we, we had like four we had suitcases a, full of camera equipment. Yeah, and we were like equipment. ready to take over because we didn't know how well like their system was with video and all this stuff. And it was amazing. So just for me to paint a picture for you guys, you could literally catch a wave, ride it for a minute, minute 15, however long the wave is, get on the ramp, maybe dry off with a towel, walk into a room and see your wave. That's true. And that was that was their automated cameras that they had at either end of the pool, yeah. which automatically start and stop when the machine starts and stops and then upload the footage to a server. So you can then walk, you know, 10 yards across from the boat ramp and then sit down and watch your wave back. Yeah. The only trouble with it is it's a fixed camera right at the end of the pool and it right. is shot in 4K. But the first half of the wave, your the surfer is taking up five or 10 percent of the screen. And even by the end, they're taking up about 20 percent of the screen. Yeah. So. It's not very good for body mechanics stuff. It's it's kind of good. You can see how how you know where someone is relative to the wave. They are on future ones going to have a, an, an automatic cropping device which will digitally crop around the surfer. So you'll have the impression when you look at the footage that the camera is actually zooming back along with the surfer. Yeah. But we ended up mostly coaching with the footage that I'd shot off the ski. Um, yeah. On the second and third sessions that we. Yeah. Went you in. you switched to using that, which which looked the, the footage there looked really really good right. um it was definitely the footage from the ski more forgiving for barrels <laughs> yeah yeah because the ski's kind of behind the barrel yeah. so it really looks angle. like yeah. in, the, in the barrel from the ski footage and then from the front cam like the front cam does not lie yeah they're like you're definitely not in there <laughs> from I, the front I was, camera. I was looking down into the barrel on your wave you got jess and i was like i thought it was first so one, I was like, oh she's so deep that's so sick i was going bananas and then we saw it Listeners, it was so depressing. I was like, oh, my God, I'm a mile in front of it. Oh. Still stoked, though. Still stoked. Ash, how was your experience? Because we were, like, the three of us were obviously pretty, like, hard-pressed through the day with, with what we were doing coaching-wise. What was your experience? Because you got to experience a lot more of the, the day hanging out there and being a, being a part of it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the facilities are amazing. They make you comfortable the whole time. The food's really good. Um, you can body surf pretty much the whole time because the, the end section of the wave kind of runs off and a lot of people don't make that last bar barrel section. So I ended up body surfing for like six hours of the day. <laughs> yeah, you got that pretty nailed. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was amazing. You just put fins on and uh, yeah, you can. that actually taught me a ton about the wave too. You get so used to the pole section by just swimming in there and I, I shot a couple rolls of film which hopefully turned out we'll see I don't know nowhere to develop them in Costa Rica when are you getting those back um I somebody's got to mule them to San Francisco for me they can't uh, can't we develop them in uh in San Jose I don't really trust uh an unproven photo lab with with my film but yeah it, it was amazing I loved it I definitely think that the strength of the wave and it was really easy to see um while watching everyone's progression that the strength was definitely tube riding and uh, almost the in-between phase of maneuver decision-making, like linking maneuvers, which is coaching at Guiones is, is, is almost the biggest hang-up that we have. It's, it's After a certain point, it's not essentially that difficult to get someone doing a cutback per se. You know, we can break down the mechanics, but um, to get a wave that actually allows you to push that cutback into another maneuver or exit that barrel and then do a top turn, it's that linking that's really difficult. And there's so much in-between stage at that wave and so much pure time on wave that that was, you know, such a huge benefit. 
you know, and, and, and Russ was my favorite person to watch because I've coached him in Nassara and I've, I've, I've coached him in, in Peru and tube riding sort of always been his goal in surfing and to watch him achieve that in the day was just, it was just the best thing. And he was so, so cool. nervous at the start of the day as well. Yeah. You know, and, and he's an extremely accomplished and successful businessman and a very confident guy, quietly yeah. understated. Um, and at the start of the day, he just, he looked like a shaking, like a leaf. And I was nervous too. I mean, I was nervous yeah. on my first wave, but I was nervous for him more on his first wave. And when he got that first one all the way through, I was just like, today's going to be a good day. Yeah. <laughs> I think the hardest thing about coaching there is when you're in a coaching session and you're giving video feedback and you just hear the rest of the crowd hooting and hollering. Oh, yeah. And you're like, who just got barreled? And you like <laughs> look at the screen and you're like, that's Russ. So it's like really hard to pay attention when you're, a coach and or a student in your coaching theory and everyone's just getting everyone out on the uh, on the deck is hooting and hollering, hollering. somebody yeah. yeah what would you guys do differently next time um pull in a little deeper to the barrel <laughs> <laughs> no, in uh, terms of in terms of coaching in terms of coaching i Ooh. i think what i would well there's a couple of just little like logistical things that i'd do differently but but from a coaching perspective i think i would like to have pushed people a little harder in the through the middle of the day I think with my guys I was a little tentative about pushing them into situations where they were going to fall and I was as they were trying to set those barrels up I was probably calling them to to get back on the gas pedal a little bit earlier I was playing it safe and I think I think with retrospect I would like to have just stalled them into the barrel and had them wipe out on on a on a few more occasions because it it did happen once or twice with my guys but I think I could have I could have pushed them back into that a little bit more. I would say the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> By like the ninth wave, Gary was like, "I haven't caught one all the way through yet." I was like, "Oh gosh, yeah, maybe we should surf <laughs> this one pretty safe." Because I was just like, I was with James and he was just so good, the ski driver at, of setting them up to both barrels and the guys just wanted to go for it every time. So we would pump it up to what it was called CT2. And I was just like, we might as well go for it, you know? And then everyone else got more options too, or opportunity to catch waves. But then Gary on his nice way was like, well, I haven't made it all the way through yet. And I was like, okay, maybe we should pump the brakes on pushing that barrel riding a little bit. So we did like CT3 and then had him like surf past that first yeah. section. And at least he got one all the way through. But the other thing that I would have liked to have tried um, as well as tried different boards, I think like push different boards uh, with my guys because um, uh, Austin was on like a bigger board at the beginning and then he switched to his. He's a 5'10 Hipto. Thank you. 5'10 Hipto. And he just surfed it so much better towards the end. And I was like, man, I wish we would have tried that earlier or just tried a different board because I ended up trying a different board towards the end of that day. And I really had a lot more fun on it or just like a different experience. So yeah. I think playing around with different boards on a perfect wave is, is just what you want to do. The, the progression through the day. It's absolutely incredible. I've never seen, as a coach, I've never seen anything like it. So Austin, who was in your group, mm -hmm. I was coaching his dad, Russ, who started, who is in his mid-60s, 64, 65, started surfing in his late 50s, I think 58, 59. So we'll post this in the show notes. There's a photo of Russ Dude. just slotted in the pit with just the nose of his board sticking out. Yeah. This is a guy who started surfing at 58 and at 65 was just slotted inside a barrel. 
by the end of the day. And there was a lot of work that went into that. Um, but, you know, I just the, the potential is is amazing for improving your own surfing and uh, and for coaching. I mean, it's it's every it's everything I thought it would be. Did you notice we're talking about Albie Layer's 540 or whatever, or his 400 earlier? Did you notice in the clip of him doing it what he says when he gets out the water? He no. turns around to the camera and he goes, oh, "I guess wave pools work." <laughs> <laughs> if like any of you guys want to experience a barrel or trying to get barreled or the whole process for it like maneuvers at this wave pretty difficult to do barrel riding you can definitely get comfortable with it and me as you guys have heard in podcasts in the past I'm kind of nervous and scared in big waves especially big barreling waves and I felt like after that that was like opening a new door to pushing myself like you said at macaronis when are you ever going to have that opportunity and they got up to 10 chances to try that. So it it's so special as far as like having that experience, which is every surfer's want and dream. It's all about barrels that wave. That's what you want to have. So there's, there's different settings you can have it at listeners. CT1 is the most powerful. And actually, we didn't use it at CT1. And like even, even Slater prefers to surf it at CT2. Two, two. Yeah. So two is, two is what you would have seen in the event. We, had it, we used it a little bit at CT2. Most of the waves we did at CT3. You would probably only notice the difference if you were really if if you were really looking for it like they they look fairly similar running up and down the pool the, the two waves barrel a little more open slightly larger and then they have a then they have an intermediate setting which we used once for for one of our guys which is a much much softer almost like a kind of a longboarding wave that runs through i was just going to say i th- i think that the difference between ct2 and ct3 on like um with good wind is that there's two barrel sections versus yeah yeah, I, I, it's not a it's not a great way for doing cutbacks. I can't imagine how you would have fitted in a cutback anywhere. Well, that was that was actually the mistake that I made on the on my left hander. Was I I took one one of the turns. I went a bit too big on it and went past six o'clock. Got behind the white water and and looking in the video, I probably could I probably could have recovered from it if I'd been quick got in that first pump got back onto the wave face but once i was behind the white water it was i couldn't get back out i assumed you were just sacrificing yourself so <laughs> i could pull it on the barrel section. yeah I, I yeah i just Thanks, was man. thinking of you <laughs> on my left it was after i caught my first right and the guy was like pump down the line go come on and I physically couldn't do it because my legs were so tired. Oh, my goodness. It's exhausting. <laughs> and listeners, nine weeks prior to that, I've been working with a personal trainer three times a week doing squats and all of their booty leg workouts. <laughs> and I still <laughs> had a problem. So, I mean, you can only train so much. but Yeah, if you, oh. go, if you go there and ride 10 waves, it may not sound like a lot, but 10 45 second waves. Like, yeah. you're going to be physically shattered by yeah. the end of the day. It's hard work. So... We, I had a, uh, <laughs> not an argument, but nearly an argument with Matt Warshaw, friend of the pod of Cycl- Encyclopedia of Surfing fame. When he was down here, we got stuck into the what big wave pool debate over a burrito and three or four beers. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, and and he, he made the point that this was, this was our argument, and, and I'll just leave it to the listeners to decide. And I, and I apologize to Matt if I'm mischaracterizing his position. I, I think I'm being fair to him. So his argument was that a big part of surfing is searching for really good waves comparable to this, not even as good as this. You'd still be stoked. And the fact that now there's a man-made one, in the future will be many man-made ones, it, it robs you of the need 
to go and have those adventures and seek out those waves. And, and he thinks that that, although surfing the wave is a wonderful and fun thing, he thinks that that is a, and I'm inferring this, he didn't explicitly say it, but a net loss for surfers because we're now losing the impetus for that adventure. And my response is that, you know, I concede that that is a downside, but much like photography wasn't the end of art, you know, as a lot of people thought it would be, they thought it was the end of painting when cameras were invented, was, was the analogy that I used for him. But actually it just meant that people no longer just saw value in trying to paint things exactly how they looked. They became, you know, expressionists and impressionists and all of the rest of it. And, you know, and Picasso started painting different sides of things and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that with wave pools now existing, people are going to become so good and they're going to enjoy surfing in the ocean so much more. And I think so many people are going to have so much fun without being near the ocean. I, I just think that, that is a, that's a much bigger pot of joy than the, the adventure side, which, which may be taken away. While we were at the Wave Ranch, um, we've mentioned the two ski drivers that we're working with as James and Ryan, uh, they're two of the guys that run Water Patrol. When the WSL does their big wave world tour events, they're the guys that are running safety for those events. So really, really uh, experienced guys. Very, very cool. Um, Teal grabbed uh, James, James Matthews, and took him off into a quiet corner and just recorded a little interview about his work with the WSL. It's only very short, but I think you guys will enjoy it. So I'm going uh, to slot it in here for you guys to listen to. So enjoy. So what's your name? My name's James Matthews. And where are you from originally, James? I'm originally from a little town just north of San Francisco in West Marin County. Um, in, uh, yeah, it's called Stinson Beach, a little beach town, tiny little town in a little cove uh, on the edge of Mount Tam. I actually you know walked there. Yeah. Um, I did a hike there in May. Right. I went to Mount Tam and then did that, what is it, the Dipsy Trail? Yeah, the Dipsy yeah. Trail over to Mill Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very beautiful. Sweet. Yeah. Hilarious. It's a great place. Yeah. Very small town, though. Very small town. Great place to grow up. Cool. Um, and so how did you get this role here? So um, I got the job as a lifeguard here at Surf Ranch um, basically because of my experience as a lifeguard at Ocean Beach in San Francisco. So a friend of mine was asked to kind of put together a crew of guys to do water safety here. And um, when, when he was asked to do that, he reached out to a handful of guys from Ocean Beach. Tom uh, is, is from San Francisco. Tom, the guy who reached out to all of us. Um, and he lives right there at Ocean Beach. So he reached out to a few of us that have guarded there for uh, quite a while. And then uh, he also reached out to some of the guys that he's worked with on the Big Wave World Tour doing water safety. So I got the job just because I've done um, water safety through the National Park Service at Ocean Beach and also back at Stinson. I started in Stinson as a lifeguard there and then transferred to Ocean Beach and did that for about 12 years. Yeah, usually the fire department up there handled the bay rescue stuff, um, but with large incidents, we would come in on our skis um, and respond to stuff over there. Um, most of what we handled was outside the Golden Gate, um, but that coastline outside the Golden Gate, south down into San Mateo County and north into Marin County, is 
exceptionally wild and rugged. Um, in addition to having Ocean Beach as our primary focus, which uh, is just a, it's a monster in itself, oh, yeah. a great place to work. The, the variety of calls and the just the power that that place has makes for some really exciting rescues. So yeah, I got the job because they wanted people that were experienced uh, with ski driving in heavy situations and powerful surf and also within a reasonable drive to Lemoore. So that experience there coupled probably with a lot of experience I have as a commercial crab fisherman, uh, which I've always done through the winter, kind of got me the job here. So you can read this, this wave amazingly. I mean, you were coaching everybody while you were driving the jet ski on it. Sure. How long did it take you to learn? To develop how to, that? Yeah. You know, I'm still learning it. I realize like there's there's little things, even though it's you know it's it's a it's the same wave um, every time. It's it's not. There's little intricacies that change, especially you know wind plays a role. Um, so I've been here this season and last season, mm -hmm. and I'd say after a few months of driving the ski and watching waves all day. Um, and watching how people surf it and surfing it myself and being in the water with it, I got a pretty good read on it. Um, by now, I don't know how many thousands of waves I've watched from the ski, yeah. but you really learn the intricacies after a thousand, two thousand waves, but I'm still learning it for sure. And I can coach it great, but I, I can't surf it that well, you know? <laughs> you that's, get out that's coming, it, I'm sure. Right, right. <laughs> you, you learn so much watching it. Yeah. Um, and to be able to relay that to someone while they're on the wave from the ski is is pretty cool, especially when you see someone progress throughout the day mm -hmm. and then um, have them come up to you and be like, thank you so much. Like, I wasn't going to do this, but you told me to do that. I faded here and I got the best barrel of my life. So that's um, rewarding yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I take part in the stoke when uh, when that happens. Oh, uh, yeah. How does working the wave pool compare to your previous 12 years? I'd say um, oftentimes at Ocean Beach when someone um, was on the beach and they would interact with me on any given day, they were having one of the worst days of their life. Mm. Granted, we had all the, the regular interactions with uh, with beachgoers, yeah. but a lot of the time, the severity of the calls there, you know, was was pretty extreme. And people, yeah, like I said, they'd be having the worst worst day of their life. Here, everyone I interact with is basically having the best day of their life. Um, I love them both. I love guarding guarding the ocean and. Um, you know, being out in, in a big, powerful beach break and being responsible for um, someone's safety out there. Um, and along similar lines, this wave is very powerful. And, um, you know, I take pride in doing safety here for mm -hmm. that. Um, but we always have perfect waves here. And so the stoke level is far higher. And every person, regardless of whether it's a little kid who's never caught a wave, before coming here to, you know, a, a pro who spent years on the tour, they all kind of have that same stoke. So it's a kind of a, it levels the playing field here a little bit like that. 
So the stoke levels amongst the general population here, far higher than Ocean Beach. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to you for quite long enough, I think. So before we go, we'll just do a quick uh, what to watch. Asher, what have you got for us? I have an edit of Malibu actually the week before I got there. Um, and it's an edit of Joel and his son Tosh. And yeah, after spending the week surfing with them, there it's so amazing to see how they they surf the same, they approach the wave the same, and yeah, I think they it, I don't know, it, it just puts a smile on my face. So there it is, very cool, Jesse. Um, prior to going to the Surf Ranch, I watched tons of surf videos on the Surf Ranch about the Surf Ranch, and the one that stood out most to me was Bethany Hamilton and family surfing at Kelly Slater's wave pool. Um, she's an amazing human and she just tears we're all here saying like oh it's hard to do maneuvers at that wave and she just kills it she gets really vertical does amazing snaps and cutbacks and just surfs it perfectly so if anyone wants to check that out it's beautiful and um, i want to watch as i alluded to earlier is just now off the chain nias super swell clickbait title um, <laughs> which is amazing and we we're all hooting and hollering at earlier in the show but uh, check that out at least twice. Very cool. Um, I'm actually going to give you guys two things to check out. One is just a short part. Um, Jamie O'Brien every now and then has these little moments of genius and does something that that just makes me smile a lot. Um, you guys may well have, have seen this already because it, it came out a few weeks ago. Uh, but they went down to big, it's not Puerto Escondido, what's the next beach down called? Is uh, it, it's not Pasquale's, is it? It might be Pasquale's. Anyway, uh, went down with those big kind of inflatable T-Rex uh, with outfits. Di- with the T-Rex suits on. And towed in with, with both the ski driver and the surfer wearing these T-Rex suits. It's one of the funniest things I've seen in ages. It's also, to be honest, one of the most impressive physical feats. Those You watch people normally like tripping over their own feet trying to walk down the street in those T-Rex outfits. And he is charging like legitimate head and a half double overhead tubes. The other day, uh, Maureen and I were twerking in an inflatable sumo suit because that's what we do in the evenings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you've, just, you've just opened a whole new... <laughs> it was, it's a really long story. We bought it to like... Uh, to use when we were in Nicaragua, we were gonna we were gonna play beach uh, five-a-side football with everyone in inflatable sumo suits, and then we had some kind of delivery issue with the suit. Anyway, we still had it here, so we tried it on. Point being, I can't imagine surfing in one of those things, yeah. and the dinosaur suits are like twice as big because they have the whole head bit on yeah. as well. Crazy. Anyway, that's very cool. The other one is uh, a guy. I, th- I think he's from your neck of the woods, Ash, but but um, Brett Barley, mm-hmm. um, who has a little kind of vlog series um which i've watched a couple of this one i just thought was really really cool and especially coming off the back of us like organizing at quite short notice this trip to california and 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 all the the thoughts and the trepidation that went into it this is him uh choosing at the drop of a hat to go to namibia and and go and chase waves there and just being very honest about the process of doing it and what it ended up costing him and whether it was worth it and it, it I, I just think it's a really good bit of I mean, first of all, great example of one-man filmmaking. Uh, it's, it's, I think, almost entirely shot on GoPros, but is nevertheless a good narrative and kind of keeps you locked in. And, and the, when you're watching him on the wave, because you've watched how hard it was for him to get there, you're it, so much more invested yes. in it. Yes, uh, and, and I just think that. So I think that's great. So yeah, d- check that out, listeners. The other thing, this isn't out yet. You can't watch it yet, but quite probably by the time I've done the edit, 
uh, and we've got this uploaded, it will be out. Um, I always have the stab in the dark board test thing as as my what to watch. They're not doing that this year. They've given Dane Reynolds a bunch of retro shapes, bonzers, single fins, twin fins, and went down to Mexico. And that is coming out later this week. Uh, and I think that's going to be really, really fun. That It looks great. Uh, so yeah, check that out when it comes out. Uh, enjoy the US Open um, and try to enjoy the US. Try Open. to enjoy the US Open, uh, and we will be back with another episode very soon. But for now, from all of us here, goodbye. Goodbye. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.